Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. Well, if you have your Bibles, now is the time to get them out, however you get them, whether it's in electronic form or in book form, go ahead and open to Colossians. This will not be the last week of Colossians, that will be next week, but we're getting near. You can almost see the light at the end of the tunnel, can't you? And so uh, we're going to read in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin with the last verse of last week, which was is verse 17, and we're going to go through chapter 4 verse 1. So I want you to hear the word of the Lord here in just a second. Um, I forgot to turn off my notifications, so I'm getting text messages in the middle of a sermon. All right, that's one of the disadvantages of an electronic form of Bible. But uh, before we get there, do we have the slides ready to go? Let's see, there we are. A few things before we read this passage that I want to make sure we understand, okay? So just what you found your place, just hold it right there, and let's go through just a few things before we jump into this reading. One is we're picking up from last week. So if you remember, we've been talking about the work that Jesus done has brought us in to a new way of living, into the Jesus way of living. And that means, just like a uniform, if you're playing for a ball team that represents your coach and your team and your school, you have to take off the old clothes and put them away so you can put on the new uniform. Because you're going to be doing something in different ways. We, we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Week number one was about taking those things off, the things we need to let go of. And last week we talked about the things that we're called to put on in our lives if we're going to practice the Jesus way of life in our world. And today we're going to pick up from that. That that's going on as we now move into. It's almost like you've got the uniform on, you've got everything ready to go, now it's time to take the field. This is what it's going to look like in real life. That's where Paul makes that transition into the passage that we're about to read. The next thing I need you to understand is that this letter to this tiny house church in Colossae was written about 62 A.D. So just so you can realize this, that means that this letter was written 1,962 years ago. That's a long time into an entirely different culture, into an entirely different world. And so as we, you know, there are times when the Bible is really easy to read, and we read it, and it just, you know, it just translates, just jumps right into the 21st century very easily. Today is not one of those days. Today is a little bit of a struggle, and so I want us to look at this. Paul was writing to have the, Paul was not writing this letter to have the church change that society 1962 years ago. What Paul was doing with this letter was to write to this church to teach the church how to faithfully live within that society 1962 years ago. How to live out the Jesus lifestyle in the culture, in the world that they found themselves in. 
And so as we do this, so when we read about today, in particular, women and slaves, I want you to realize Paul isn't advocating for these institutions, slavery or patriarchy. He is not advocating that that's the way things should be. He is advocating for faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of a society that was built on slavery and patriarchy. Are you with me? Well, make sure that we have that as a foundation before we jump into this, because otherwise I might lose you before we get to the end of the passage. All right. So we're going to, we're going to hear this, this very ancient letter. Let's read, let's dive in and let's read this together. Paul writes, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How much of it? All of it. Very good. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. It's the word of God for the people of God, both here and online, and our response is, thanks be to God. How many of you have ever heard of a Tucker 48? Anyone? Tucker 48, there's one, all right, good. Another one back there, awesome. It is not a gang of 48 guys named Tucker. Tucker 48 is a car, or was a car, I should say. Here's a picture of it. Very sharp-looking car, isn't it? Now, this is a car that was put out by Mr. Tucker. His name was Preston Tucker. And uh, this was he was from Ypsilanti. Do you say Ypsilanti or Ypsilanti? Ypsilanti. Sorry, I've lived here, only lived here 15 years. He was from there, and as the United States was coming out of World War II, he began to get into the idea of becoming another car company. The big three were kind of tied up. They had used a lot of their resources to build stuff for the war effort, and he thought, this is a good time for me to get in on the game. And he created a beautiful vehicle. Probably the most prominent thing, although we're not going to talk about this today, is that third center headlight. Did you know it was connected to the steering wheel so that as you turned the wheel to go around a curve, the light would follow? Well, that could be in, that could be in a sermon illustration, couldn't it? You could just see right as you were going around the curve. But what was amazing about this is that he took what existed, which is a car, and he made it excellent. 
he did some pretty incredible things. He came up with some new features. I want you to see these new features. Uh, one was he integrated a roll bar. A lot of his features were safety features. He integrated a roll bar in the, in the cab of the vehicle to protect the passengers. All the, there was a perimeter frame around the cab so that if there was a head-on collision, things would happen. We can't get into all. I mean, there were so many innovations that he did. All the controls were easily within reach. So you didn't have to distract yourself if you were looking for certain things on the vehicle. They were all right there. So it would try and keep you even more safe. Uh, they had a padded dashboard. Did you know that? First padded dashboard. Before that, I guess it was just steel. Good luck if you have to brake hard. Seatbelts. It was the first vehicle to include seatbelts as a, as a part of the vehicle. What came with the vehicle? He was the first to put shatterproof glass in windshields so that if something came through or, or you hit something like that, your seatbelt would protect you, but there would also not be glass flying at you. There were incredible things, and there were things in the works that we can't even get to today. Now, according to some, obviously there's only 51 Tuckers in existence. And so they were, he was driven out of business. According to some, and if you've watched the movie, uh, there is a movie about this life, uh, Tucker was driven out of business by the other car companies. They, they just didn't want to have to change up their assembly lines to include all of these features that were coming with the Tucker. And so they arranged for the steel pro, uh, that was being provided. If you provide to him, you can't provide to us. So guess what they're going to do? can go to us. They, they had investigations and all kinds of things coming up to where only 51 were ever able to be made. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's kind of crazy. Why are we making such a big deal? I mean, all of these things are standards now in the car. I mean, any of you ever buy a new car with no seatbelts? I didn't think so. They're all standard, but this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly where I want to go. You see, what happened is that Mr. Tucker took what existed and he made it excellent. And what, when he made it excellent, it was so great that it changed what we expect in a car or a truck or a vehicle of some sort. This is what Paul is doing with the Roman family structure in our passage today. And so I want you to lean in and think about that Tucker and how he took what existed, just a car, he added some incredible things to make it excellent, and it's even though the car company itself didn't doesn't exist anymore, it changed everyone's expectations of what a car should hold. And so we'll look at this. But we need to understand family life in Roman culture. So let's jump into that just a little bit. I know you were looking for a history lesson today. It was seen, the, the family structure in Roman times was seen as the basis for the empire's stability. Healthy families makes a stable empire. And so they're going to focus on this. It was very, very top down. Just like the Roman government was very, very top down. You had an emperor uh, who was a, just basically a dictator who communicated down what was to happen. And that's how control was maintained. It was it started, the family structure though started with a pater familias. Aren't you glad you could learn some Latin today? Pater familias. Maybe I need to learn some Latin today. Literally means father of the family. 
And that father structure went all the way through the family. A father ruled everything in the household. The family included the wife, and though she was a spouse, there was really more of a father-child relationship when it comes to this. Now, she might have a little more say than, say, the children, but it really wasn't that much. But family included wife, children, slaves. Some scholars say even some uh, some of your employees would maybe live in your household as part of their payment. Uh, but this is how the family was. And then if you had extended family that were blessed enough to live a long life, they were also included in your family. But the father was on top. The wife was under the pater familias. The, the, uh, for century, and for centuries, Roman philosophers, way before the church, Roman philosophers taught that the foundation of society rested on husbands controlling their wives. Wives, hang on, hang on, we're gonna, trust me, we're going somewhere good, okay? Alright, just hang in there. I'm just telling you what Roman philosophers said 1900 years ago, or Longer than that. Women were to faithfully produce children for the stability of Rome. It was all about Rome. It was all about the empire. It was all about doing all of this for the stability of Rome. Children. Where are our kids today? Raise your hand. It's family Sunday. We got our kids in here. All right, kids. I'm sorry, but kids were seen as property back then. Not very cool, huh? In fact, before they reached adulthood, they were often placed under the care of a slave. So for a while, it was father, wife, slaves, children. And then as the children were educated, sometimes that power differential would shift. They were given education, but they were disciplined harshly. And again, it was for the good of Rome, the good of the empire. Slaves. Tough one to talk about. But I need just to understand that the wealth of Rome, the buildings of Rome, the things that even now we look back at ruins and we think about how in the world did they do it. I'll tell you, they did it because of slavery. The wealth of Rome relied upon slavery. They had a labor force that they barely had to pay for. They just kind of needed to keep them alive with a little bit of food. And that workforce had no political power. There was nothing that they could do to change. There might be an uprising here or there, but then it was put down harshly by the Roman army because we need all of this for the good of Rome, the good of the empire. This family structure was seen as the only way to have a stable empire. So if you went outside of this, then, then you were looked at with great suspicion. You were looked at as someone who was possibly toying around with destroying the empire. To not have the patar familias in charge would lead to the entire breakdown of society. Talk about pressure. No wonder nothing changed. It was a system based on order that was brought about by domination. And it worked its way, as we've already seen, from the bottom all the way to the top with the emperor. But Paul, remember, wants to remind the church that there is a more excellent and expected way 
We see this right there in our first passage, our first verse, where, where Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the, uh, God the Father through Him. See, Paul is saying that we're about to take what exists in our society, which is this patar familias, this family, and Christ is going to make it excellent through the Jesus way. So you can take what what exists, what's there in your society, and it's going to become excellent as we follow the Jesus way. And the Jesus way, for Jesus, power didn't come through domination. For Jesus, it came through vulnerable service. You may want to write that down. For Jesus, His influence always came through vulnerable service. And we're going to look at three improvements to, to what existed to make it excellent in this Jesus way of vulnerable service. The first thing that we look at is vulnerable loving. The call to take a marriage that exists in a certain way in a certain time frame and to vulnerably love one another in the midst. We'll look at verses 18 and 19. At first, this doesn't sound very loving. Wives, submit to your husband. Uh, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I'd like to think about it this way. Because in our day and age, when women hear the word submit, it does have those flashbacks to things like slavery. And, and some women even today have experienced a man, a husband, taking advantage of a verse like this in order to demand submission. And so I, it always gives me pause when we come to these things, or it used to give me a lot of pause until I began to realize that when we submit to someone, we place ourselves in a very vulnerable position, don't we? Because they could take advantage. But I think if we understand that idea of vulnerability, then I think a good translation for us today when it comes to this is, wives, be vulnerable to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Jesus made himself vulnerable to us. He didn't come as a conquering king. He came as what? We just celebrated at Christmas a few weeks ago. As a baby. Vulnerable, relying on us. And Paul says in your marriage, I know what exists is that he's in charge. And because you've been raised in a culture that's all about power and grabbing what you can, we know that they say that he's the head, but... You can turn the neck, right? The neck turns the head. Paul says, I'm going to take what exists, but I'm going to change how you understand it. It's going to become excellent because of Jesus. And now you are going to make yourself vulnerable to your husband, just like Jesus made it vulnerable, made himself vulnerable to us. He takes the focus off this and places it where it should be on Jesus. The other thing is he doesn't let the husbands off the hook. Husbands, 
Do not take advantage of this vulnerability. You are to be vulnerable too. Listen to this. He says, agape your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is what the husbands are to do. And you've been here long enough, you probably realize that that word that we translate love is the word agape, which means self-sacrificial love. So as she is making herself vulnerable to you because her focus is on Jesus who made himself vulnerable to us. You then, husbands, are called to self-sacrificially love her because Jesus self-sacrificially loved you. You're not looking for what you can get out of her. You are looking at how can I self-sacrificially Love and serve her. And not, here's a fun Greek word to say, pikrenaste. Let's just say that together just because it's fun. Ready? One, two, three. Pikrenaste. Let's say it one more time. Pikrenaste. Great word. It literally means a bitter taste in the stomach. I guess they thought the tongue went all the way down to the stomach. But you know that. If your spouse has ever said something or done something or frustrated you, you feel it down here, don't you? And it doesn't feel good. It feels bitter. And Paul is saying, I'm going to take what's exi- what exists. But when Jesus applies his more excellent way, there is a new expectation of what will happen. Wives, make yourselves vulnerable like Jesus was vulnerable to us. Husbands, self-sacrificially love and serve your wives like Jesus self-sacrificially loved and served you. And don't do anything that puts bitterness into her stomach. we got to move on. Today, this is what we expect from a good marriage, right? Vulnerability. That you learn how to be vulnerable with one another. I usually challenge every couple I marry... That sometimes being vulnerable with one another will be extremely easy. Where do you want to eat? Well, that's maybe not the easiest one. (laughs) What do you want to watch? (laughs) Telling a joke. Other times, it will be the most difficult thing you have ever done as a human being. Paul says, this is the more excellent way, and it changes what we can expect a good marriage to look like. Jesus takes what exists and makes it excellent so that it becomes what is expected. Number two, vulnerable leading. And we'll look at this. This is where the kids come in. Vulnerable leading. Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Let's read that again really quick. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. I remember this funny story that one of my friends told, or well, actually it was her mom that told me. We were high school friends. We were over and she was talking about how she and her daughter were in a battle of wills. And the daughter was probably about five or six. And, uh, and the mom just thought she would pull out the Bible card. And she said, Colossians 3.20, which is, we just read it, children obey your parents in all things. Well, my friend Christy, six years old, put her hand on her hip and said, yeah, well, Colossians 3.21. She didn't had no clue what it said. But the fact that she said she was just trying to one-up her mom by a number. But her mom went back and looked at it and said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> 
Wisdom out of the mouth of a child. There's something here that's going on. We've talked about what existed, that children were just property and they were treated harshly and disciplined and educated for the empire. But Paul writes directly to them. So the first change, the first shift in this more excellent way is that children are actually invited to participate in this. They're actually addressed in this letter. And in Roman society, they were never addressed. They were to be quiet, not seen until they had been educated and disciplined and were ready for life in the public eye. So Paul is changing things up here. Again, it's based on the Jesus way. Jesus, he wants to focus the children's uh, focus on the Jesus way. Because see, Jesus, we read about in Luke, was a powerful child once. In fact, Luke talks about when Jesus was a child, he was brought into the temple and he was teaching and questioning the scholars and the leaders, the the pastors of their day. And he was teaching them in such incredible ways that their minds were blown. Like, how does a kid know this much about Scripture, about God and about the people of God? How does he know all of this? And yet, when his earthly parents were worried because they lost him, and he was a little snippy with them, didn't you know I'd be in the Father's house? The Bible says that this powerful child, Jesus, obeyed his earthly parents. And it said that when he obeyed, he made himself vulnerable to them, and he grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and people. Paul is writing to the children. He's including them and saying, your focus needs to be like that of Jesus. You see, Jesus was a very powerful child, but he made himself vulnerable and learned from his earthly moms and mom and dad. And he grew. And that's the call for you, kids. It's not to just obey mom and dad because mom and dad are always right. It's about following Jesus, who when he was very powerful, still listened and learned from his mom and dad. But again, fathers aren't let off the hook. They're to be vulnerable leaders of their children. Because Paul writes, they are not to embitter. It's a different Greek word we won't learn today. But it literally means they're not to stir up anger within their child's. They're not to constantly criticize and belittle and point out the 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 bad and the the this uh, you just hear the stirring don't you not to stir up that anger now i want to say this because i i always get these questions when we talk along these lines does that mean you just let them do whatever they want no it doesn't mean that there's no discipline it doesn't mean there's no directing of the child's footsteps this just means That everything you do is done differently. Father or mothers in this case. Whoever is there. It's done differently. It's done vulnerably. So as not to, I know the words we use, it says disheartened, but the Greek word literally means crush their hearts. We're not to stir it up. We're supposed to be vulnerable in the midst of this and leading. And as, as we work this together... The kids will be vulnerable in their listening. The parents will be vulnerable in their leading. And both of those look a whole lot like Jesus, who did exactly the same. 
I'll never forget one time when I was a teenager, and I knew everything back then. I've forgotten a lot of it since then. (laughs) And my dad and I got into an argument before school on a day when he was going to have to go away on a trip to San Antonio, about five or six hours away. There was no FaceTime back then, so we couldn't have a face-to-face. It would have been awkward on a phone call in a landline. And so I came home that night. I don't today remember what we even argued about. But I do remember that there was a note under my pillow. And when I opened that note, there was my dad being vulnerable, saying, I'm really sorry about today. And and I, I wish I understood whatever this thing was. He said, unfortunately, teenagers don't come with owner's manuals. But I know I love you. And I wish I wasn't away right now so we could talk. I kept that letter until it fell apart. Why? Because he was vulnerable like Jesus was vulnerable. And he was leading me and teaching me the vulnerable way. And I wanted to. I longed to. I longed to be a dad who is vulnerable. To realize I don't understand what it's like to be a teenager in 2024. I know what it was like to be a teenager in 1985. We are called to something, but this is now what we expect in parenting. We want parents who are vulnerable with their kids in their discipline, in their directing, in their leading. And we want kids who are obedient and listen vulnerably in the midst of that, no matter how smart we think we are. Because Jesus takes what exists and makes it Excellent. The last one, and I know we're right up to noon already, but this is just so good. Can we just lean in just a little bit longer? This vulnerable labor. Now this is a longer passage, verses 22 all the way through 4-1. And now you've, you've probably got the idea that there's going to be, going to be talking to somebody in the situation, the one who's usually experiencing vulnerability, but he's not going to let the one who's not experiencing vulnerability off the hook. So let's look into this one. This is the toughest one. The first thing is that Paul invites slaves to voluntarily participate in something. Which again, like children, would be unheard of. That a slave would even be addressed in a letter is incredible in that day. Usually they were put to the margins and yet something was different in this team, the, the church team that we talked about, where there was a lot of diversity and no class system. In this little house church meeting, sometimes masters would serve their slaves at the table of the Lord. Unheard of. It's unheard of. And Paul invites slaves into something. He invites them to voluntarily participate in what is going on. Paul, he he writes to a slave and addresses them in their vulnerability and invites them to voluntarily be vulnerable in their work, to be vulnerable to Jesus. 
He shifts the perspective. He, he changes who they are actually serving. You may think it's that guy at the top of the Roman structure, but I'm here to tell you that you can shift who it is that you're actually serving. You are actually serving Jesus, the one who made himself vulnerable, the one who came and worked among us and showed us what vulnerability is about. That's who your focus is going to be on. But then he doesn't leave master. Out of this, he asks them and says to them, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I want us to look at these words really quickly. That first word, provide, is the word paraesthe. Can we say that together? Ready? One, two, three. Paraesthe. Say it one more time. One, two, three. Paraesthe. It actually means hold near. Masters, hold your slaves near. How do you do that? By giving them what is dikaion. Just, we translate it, and sometimes it is that, but it is also the same word that is used for holy. And fair, isoteta, equity. In this team, Masters, you're going to make yourself extremely vulnerable because you're going to hold your slaves near with what is holy and what is equitable. That would be an incredible, incredible change in the society the way it was. This was a new way for them to be in charge, to enter it vulnerably. And it had a drastic impact on the communities around these little house churches. Because when Roman people saw this happening with wives and husbands, children and parents, and masters and slaves, they were curious, but they were cautious. Why? Because they were adding something into the system. They were adding something that could break down all of society. They were curious and cautious. The church was often persecuted. We've read about that. Yet ultimately, their way prevailed. Just like Mr. Tucker and his car that was persecuted and didn't survive as a company, but all of his things prevailed into the car company. Jesus took what existed in Roman culture and made it excellent so that now it is expected. Now, vulnerable loving in marriage is what is expected when people walk down this aisle and say, I do to one another. They're expecting that there will be vulnerability from both partners in that. Husbands and wives today, let me ask you, how you doing? You can't just be vulnerable right here. How's the vulnerability at home? Is there something you you need to talk about? Something you need to share in order to reach that openness again? Now vulnerable leading here is what's expected of parenting in our, in our culture, in our day. That's what we expect. All the parenting books basically say that. Parents, kids, how are we doing? How are you doing in the listening, in the leading, in the being led? How are you doing in that? Do you need to have a conversation with your mom or your dad? Do you need to have a conversation 
with your kids, dad and mom? Have you been vulnerable with them? And today, vulnerable laboring is what's expected. (laughs) Slavery is no longer tolerated in most countries, thanks be to God. So we'll move it into our cultural context. Employers, employees. How y'all doing here? (laughs) Who are you working for? If you're a boss, do you realize no matter how high up you are in the corporate ladder, there is still someone above you? Are you holding your employees near? What is holy? What is equitable? Are you thinking about those and things in the budget meetings? Employee, employees, you realize that that person who wears the manager sticker is not ultimately who you're working for, right? We're called to be vulnerable even in the midst of that, the way Jesus went all the way to the cross for, uh, for us. We are called into what exists, but we are called to allow Jesus, Jesus to make it excellent. If we are following Jesus, we cannot settle for what exists. He is always going to add his excellence and change what we expect. Jesus' way brings that excellence. Today, we close by asking, will you, will I, will we allow Jesus to change our expectations and to live into the vulnerability that he showed to us is the most excellent way? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Deb, would you come and just play something? Thank you. Father, tough message today, but good for us to hear. In a world like ours, that we think nothing can be done about, and we continually look through the lenses of negativity, we are called to take what actually exists and allow your way to bring excellence to it. That may be difficult. And so today, I pray for the husbands and wives who are sitting next to one another right now and there is something between them. Would you challenge them and gently nudge them to your excellent way of being vulnerable, of apologizing where that's needed, becoming curious of what's going on and to lead and may we see that change our expectations of what exists in our home God I pray for fathers and mothers and kids who are stuck in misunderstanding stuck in growing stuck in busyness would you slow us down and open us up vulnerably as parents and as kids students that we might hear your heart in the conversation calling us to the more excellent way of vulnerably serving Father if we're in a work situation that is just so difficult not difficult in that someone's being abused those, those are things we need to leave but where it's just a difficult personality Open our eyes to see you in the midst of it. If we're an employer 
remind us that we have a responsibility from you to be vulnerable to those who we serve as a manager or as a leader. Father, take these situations that exist, bring it, bring us into your excellent way so that our expectations begin to change. And just like our world is letting go of things like slavery, like domination, may the church lead the way in vulnerably serving those who are around us. For we pray and we ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand? Tough message today. Thank you for leaning in and leaning in a little bit longer than we typically go. I want to encourage you and send you out with blessing. And now, my brothers and sisters here and online, may you experience the more excellent way and being vulnerable in your marriages, in your relationships with your children, and in your work. May you trust that the one who made himself vulnerable to you will lead you and teach you and guide you all the way. I pray this would happen in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us. One God forever and ever. Amen. Go in his name. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for joining us online. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.